Listen, when Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike grab mics, it's real sports, real talk. On the field or on the court. If it happened in New York, it's covered like a blanket, dog. Interviews are ill, simply up close and personal. Batter up, Lloyd's batting first, set the tone. Mike see the right the stadium with a guard and on the phone. Here we go, Giants of Jets, Yankees of Mets, Knicks of Nets. This is only an intro, the show is next. of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, today is Monday, August 13th, 2018, and it's that day of the week. This show airs every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing. And if you're new to the show, you can also catch up on previous airings and tapings of the show. We also are social media listeners. Lloyd A. Thompson, one word Instagram. Lloyd A. Thompson, one word Twitter. That's L-L-O-Y-D for those of you who need the spelling because sometimes people botch the name, baby. Be sure to hit that follow button so you can see what we're doing on those two sites. Also, listeners, if you have any questions that you'd like for me and Mad Mike to answer on air, you can send them through email to Lloyd at partmyfresh.com or you can send them directly to the website. Listeners, as always, another exciting show for you today. The NFL preseason kicked off, so we're going to talk some New York Giants. We're going to talk some New York Jets. We're also going to give our top 25 AP college football rankings. And then we're going to touch up on this Urban Meyer situation with Ohio State. And we're going to take some questions from you, the listeners. So as always, guys, let's buckle up, sit back and relax. And start spreading the news. Hey, yo! Let's get it! Ladies and gentlemen, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go. As always, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is and where he's calling from. Yo, Mad Mike, where you at today, baby? What's up, Lloyd? I'm, uh, I was over at the Redskins uh, Jets practice. Um, there was fireworks. A couple uh, brawls broke out. Um, much, uh, you know, it was expected uh, with all the talk that was going on from the Redskins side about how they were going to take some shots at Terrell Pryor. Um, I, I guess the Jets didn't like that, and they chose to do something about it. Look, kudos. I think it's important that teammates stick up for each other. And that just goes to show the connection that the Jets have already. We're going to touch up on the Jets a little bit later, man, Mike. But I also want to give kudos to the Jets for their first for their first preseason game and the way they went out and played some solid football. But before we go into the Jets, let's start off with the New York Football Giants, who started their preseason off with a twenty to ten loss to the Cleveland Browns, and Saquon Barkley took his first touch as a New York Giant, and he had an explosive 39-yard game that got the entire crowd at MetLife Stadium on their feet, Mad Mike. And after Barkley's first run, 
He finished with minimum gains on the next four carries. You know, one on the carries, Barkley made the wrong decision, in my opinion, to bounce it outside when he should have cut it up the field. But Barkley was not targeted in the passing game, to my surprise. But it seems like head coach Pat Schumer didn't want to completely tip his hand and show what designs he has for the rookie back or what designs he has for the Giants' offense moving forward. I also thought that Davis Webb struggled and extended action as the team's backup quarterback after Eli Manning. You, Eli Manning played two offensive series. The first series, I listen, out of all the games I watched, Mad Mike, and, I, and I've watched every preseason game, at least, at least the first two quarters. And I kid you not, Mad Mike, and again, listeners, it's the first preseason game, so I'm not up in arms, and I don't know how Mad Mike is going to feel about this. But Mad Mike, the Giants are one of the few teams where their first offense really did nothing. Oh, I, I was, you know, you were saying it, and um, I don't even know how to react to it, man, because I'm like, I hear I'm hearing you say how amazing and electrifying Saquon's first run was. 39 yards got everybody, you know, excited. And then he went for, what, four yards on four carries after that. And I'm saying to myself, if you go look at that play, that first play, that, yo, this offensive line to me, it would scare the hell out of me because that first play was all Saquon. It's not like he, he, he showed patience. He made guys miss. He waited for his initial hole, which wasn't there. He waited for something else to, to open up, and then he found a hole and went for 39 yards. That entire play was Saquon Barkley. And, yes, it's going to go on his leg. You know what I mean? Like, he did all of that. That offensive line played zero role in that. And, I, listeners, Lloyd, if you think I'm BSing you, go watch that play over. There's not one offensive lineman that did that. that did anything for him on that play? He 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 came to a a, a jump stop behind the line. He he slowly maneuvered his way through that, and, and and then when he saw the hole, he took it. But that wasn't that that wasn't his. You know, like you just said, he had a misread. So maybe I'm being unfair. You know, on one of the carries, he, he I think he he bounced it out instead of in. Um, but on that play, that was all him. And if you take away him from from the, then you have an average day. Not even average. You have five yards on five carries, or five yards on you know ten yards on five carries, and then all of a sudden we're saying, "Damn, these giants, this giant line, man." And um, Mad Mike, I saw nothing positive from the Giants' starting offense outside of that run from Saquon Barkley, and Barkley's ability to bounce the run outside, like you said, that was all Barkley. He made a jump cut. He made two defenders miss. And explode through the hole is very uncanny for any Giants running back since Tiki Barber. Now, Barkley retreated to the sideline for a breather after the big run late in the drive. He returned to action, but was stopped for a two-yard loss when he tried again to bounce that run outside, which we're talking about. Both of Barkley's runs came behind the right side of the offensive line, which features Eric Flowers. But as you were saying, it was more the, the block by Rhett Ellison that really helped him make that first run outside of him making a read. And the Giants were eventually forced to attempt a 40-yard field goal on that first drive once they dumped the ball down on a third and 12. Second-year kicker, Aldrich Rojas, which to me, the kicking game is possibly going to be a problem. 
for the New York Giants as far as field goal-wise. He made a 42-yard field goal, Matt Mike. But, again, I thought an incredible job of blocking by the Giants' tight ends was done in that game. It's like night and day watching a team's physical point of attack blocking versus how they blocked during the 2017 season. I thought Evan Ingram did a decent job reaching and holding his blocks against a massive defensive end on the other side of the ball. And I thought Wet Ellison did an excellent job getting to the second level and sealing off linebackers so Barkley could have space to break to the outside. And according to Evan Ingram, there was ports, Matt Mike, that watching and learning from Wet Ellison is a big factor in his improvement since his rookie season. So if you can get, that's one of the knocks on Evan Ingram is his inability to block. So if he can get that together, look, Evan is probably the most dangerous tight end in the NFL. But the knock on him is his inability to block. Wait, wait, wait. On that back, you said the most dangerous tight end in the NFL. Well, let me say he's one of the most dangerous tight ends in, his, in the NFL as far as his ability to catch the ball. He's, uh, yeah, he's a he, he's you know who what, what Evan Ingram is to me. Um, he's just I, I, I and forgive me for saying this. I don't think he's ever going to be a three down uh, tight end because I don't think he's ever going to be able to block one. I don't think he's big enough to block um, at, at, in the NFL. And two, I don't think they want him to block in the NFL because uh, what makes him dangerous is the fact that really what he is is a he's he's too big and slow to play wide receiver so they use him at, you know kind of in the Jimmy Graham you know in the Jimmy Graham mode but you've seen as Jimmy Graham has gotten older he can't play every down because he, he, he's just been exposed as a guy who can't block um and you're right this is where Red Ellison is going to come in um but it, it it concerns you because if you're going to run the ball with Saquon Barkley um, and commit to first and second down especially, or at least want to give the appearance that you're going to run it with him, I mean, Brett Ellison's going to be on the field, right? I, I, if Evan Ingram is on the field, you're going to take a chance that more runs are going to get blown up. So uh, this is going to this is going to be really interesting. You know, the Giants have had a bad run game for the last uh, few years, uh, so it's been easier to use uh, a receiving tight end um, on more plays than, than not. This year is going to be very interesting because if you're going to commit to the run, and I'm saying if you're drafting number two overall, Saquon Barkley, uh, you're committing to the run. You you got to be able to block. And, and and let's touch on, we could touch on Jacksonville with Fournette. They had Mercedes Lewis, who is, uh, um, he's a receiving tight end, but he, he he's also well. a blocker. Yeah. Jason Witten with you know, Ezekiel Elliott. He blocks well. He's a complete tight end. So this is going to be interesting to and see. Don't forget Rob from, Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski blocks well also. Yeah. So so but what I'm saying is, um, it's just me being objective and me saying he's got he's got to work. I know he wants to be one of the best, but the only way to to be one of the best is for him to fix it. You know, it, he's going to have to bulk up. He's going to have to get strong at the point of attack, and he's going to have to prove to these co this coaching staff that he can stay on the field for three downs. Because, you know, if, if let's say, you, you know what I'm saying? If, if everyone sees the film, defensive coaches coming in, right? And they say, yo, he can't block. We're going to attack him. And then if if Red Ellison's in there, you know that it's either going to be a run play. And, and 
it's easier. What I'm saying is easier to defend the, the play action if Rhett Ellison is off the field because you know it's more likely to be a play action if Evan Ingram's in there blocking. You're right. But I thought he actually did a decent job of blocking in game one of the preseason. Hopefully he just continues to get better. But there's no mistaking about his offensive prowess as far as being able to run down the field and catch the ball against matchups against linebackers and, and corners and things of that nature. And, you know, when I say as far as him being dangerous, that's along the lines of, of what I'm mentioning. He definitely has to get better of blocking. But he see, from watching the first preseason game, again, he seems to be on the right track. This is only his second season. So we'll see what happens. Davis Webb has been a guy that I've, that I've spoken or stood behind for quite some time. As you know, Mad Mike and Davis Webb look really shaky. I don't know if it was because of his nerves or whatever the case may be, but he didn't look that great. He settled down towards the end before the Giants inserted Kyle Letter, but before that happened, he looked really shaky and he looked really unimpressive. I thought Kyle Letter threw the ball better than Davis Webb, even though his outing wasn't that great as well, but I thought he performed better than Davis Webb. Again, all you want to see is that the Giants get better. The Giants get better with their first-string offense as far as moving the full ball down the field, and you want to see better things from Davis Webb, and you want to see better things from Kyle Oletta. But on the defensive side of the ball, Matt Mike, they put zero pressure on the quarterback, and the only person that I would give kudos to in the first preseason game is Landon Collins. And Landon Collins continues to make big plays on the edge. And Betcher continued to use him like a missile in the first half. And he kind of adopts the same thing as Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger role, with this new defensive scheme. And the Giants, they used a lot of cover too. And the other high-end safety looks in Spagnola's defense. But these will become less frequent in Betcher's scheme. The Giants want to use Collins as a weapon on defense, a similar mix to how Betcher used Matthew in Arizona. So the Giants will leave their deep safety on the island and a single high look, and this will allow Collins to make plays around the line of scrimmage and then coverage against big slot receivers and tight ends. But the key is disguising where Collins is going to start and end up on the field on any given play, and I'll allow him to have more opportunities and make big plays, Matt Mike. But with that being said, again, going back to leaving your safety single high on the island, the Giants don't have a really good safety back there. Thank you. You know what's funny? Because I'm so happy you said that because I was I was looking at this. By the way, I'm going to touch on Davis Webb right after this. Um, It's just a quick point. But, yo, man, I was I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, Landon Collins, it was playing. They, they, and I love, how, I, I love how they used him before everybody jumps me and says the Jet fan killing the Giants. I loved how they used him. I couldn't believe what I was watching. This guy was playing linebacker. I'm saying this is how you get your best defensive player involved in every aspect of the game. They played him on the, you know, right off the line. They played him up. They played him at linebacker. They used him as safety. He was basically, like you said, he was a missile. He was just a heat-seeking um, missile, and he was going after every single, you know, target. Like, you know what I mean? Like he he was playing. I don't know whatever girl role. You know, RPG game you want. And he had that red dot right on you. Boom. Linked up. Gone. But you want to know what? If the safety behind him is trash, 
this is not going to work because all they're going to do is someone's going to decipher all the smarter quarterbacks in your division and out of your division and your schedule. They're going to decipher when he's playing linebacker, when they're using him up against the line, and they're going to audible out. And they're going to send somebody high over the top, and they're going to beat that terrible safety like a drum. It's going to happen all year, and then we're going to say, well, if Landon Collins – can't be used that you know if they, if they, if if the guy behind him stinks, then stop using him like this. And then all of a sudden, he goes from being special to now covering up a hole because someone else thinks that their job. And I was just saying the whole time, why didn't the Giants go after Tyran Matthew? If this is what they had in mind, why didn't they go get a safety that could just you know play free out there. Look, there, there's free agents out there. You got Eric Reed. You got Kenny Vicario. So there's, there's free agents out there that the Giants can sign. Darian Thompson is not going to get it done. No. And whoever else they and, have is not going to get it done. Also throwing the fact that Eli Apple got torched. Completely <laughs> turned around on the plate. And then surprisingly, Janoris Jenkins got beat deep. Oh, my oh, well, God. he had good Eli, coverage, wait, and he wait, didn't turn his head man. around sooner. But the Giants' corners are going to have to play a lot better in this style of defense as well, Matt, Mike. Oh, yeah. You don't, have an all-star, I mean, you don't have an all-star wait. corner like they do in Arizona and Patrick Peterson. You don't have that in New York. Bro, when you have Rashard Higgins absolutely manhandling Eli Apple and then just just going over him, you know, just made him. Yeah, yeah. In the preseason against the, uh, I mean, Rashard Higgins is what four wide receiver, four wide receiver, five in Cleveland's uh, uh rotation, and you're getting beat up, and you're supposed to be a CB two. Come on, man. And another thing, I'm I'm gonna say this. Uh, uh, you know, the Rams, and, and we we had this brief conversation. Alec Ogletree is a good linebacker, but there's reasons why um the Rams decided that he was a bad fit for a three four defense. And um, you saw him get beat by David and Joku for the touchdown. And all I'm going to say is, you, it kind of made you to, to an extent say, "Wait a minute, is this what the Rams were concerned with?" So um, he's got to be a little better in coverage too. Uh, um, it's not a strong suit of his. He's got to get better. Um, I, I hope that you know this. This uh, I guess I hope their passing defense, um, you know, isn't a problem. Like. And I just want to add a note that the Giants signed Lennox Johnson, who previously played with the Buffalo Bills, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Carolina Panthers. It just seems that the Giants continue to sign former Carolina Panther players. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you, you go with what you know. You know what I mean? Like, I, I guess that I, I know I'm giving them an excuse, but yeah, uh, you when, when you're a GM. Um, you, you go with what you know. Uh, by the way, my, 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 my uh, Davis Webb comment was, this is why you take a quarterback in the top of the, the draft. Um, and just from from point of observation, it, he looks nothing like Baker Mayfield did. You know what I mean? Like, you can see the difference in, in when you take a, a, a first a top five quarterback Versus a, a, a developing a third, fourth round quarterback. You can see the difference. And that's why people thought, you know, whether Saquon is great or not. This is why people, um, no one's questioning his talent. They're questioning if you got, you know what I mean? Eli didn't look special. 
And and to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know if Eli's best. We know Eli's best days are behind him. Um, we're just hoping that he has a, a, another year or two left of elite ball, you know, football in him. And I don't know if he does, man. And, and, and this game didn't make me feel any better about it. And I know that the reviews on Davis Webb this offseason, Lloyd, I know that they've been mostly positive, maybe even better than, than expected. But did that first game give you any uh, bit of confidence? None. Zero. Zilch. And that's and, exactly what I was saying. You know, and, we talk uh, about NBA players, and I hate to kind of jump off the subject, where you say you can tell when a player comes into the league and you know if they got it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it was just funny how you brought up that point with Baker Mayfield. You can tell that Baker Mayfield, he has it. And it's just a matter of time before Baker Mayfield eventually wins that starting quarterback job in Cleveland. Yeah. He might even win it to start the season off. Not that well, Tyrod Taylor played bad, man, Mike, but Baker Mayfield definitely didn't hurt his chances to overtake Tyrod Taylor. No. Yeah. And, and, and you know what bothered me most? Um, and you kind of touched on it. The, the, this, this idea, the code from the coaches and even the player, that nerves played a role in, in Davis Webb's bad day. Listen, this is game one of the preseason. Lord, you know like I know. Well, once the regular season hits, well, what are those nerves going to be? They multiply. And it never gets better. Why? Because if you're struggling game one, now everyone's looking at you for game two. And if you're struggling game two, you start snowballing. Like this was the, the you're not expected to start. You're not expect if you, whether you win the backup or you win the third string job, what does it matter at this point? Everyone knows that it's, it's Eli Manning's job. Why are you feeling any kind of nerves? Yeah, I was, I look again, I've been a big Davis Webb supporter and me and you have gone back and forth numerous times about the Giants drafting Saquon Barkley as to drafting Sam Darnold or one of the other top quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm still, it's game one. I'm going to hope that this young man looks better in game two. But from what I've seen in game one, I don't know, Mad Mike. I don't know. But let's move on to the F New York Jets. And the Jets, including quarterback Sam Darnold, Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater opened their preseason game Friday night at MetLife Stadium against the Falcons. Now, I know Matt Mike has to be very excited about his team as all three quarterbacks looked impressive, although Josh McCown only had one series. He threw one pass, completed the one pass. But nonetheless, I was impressed by Sam Darnold. I was impressed by Teddy Bridgewater. I was impressed by their defense. I was impressed by their offensive line. I was impressed by the receiving core. I was impressed by the running game. I was impressed by the receivers. All in all, for I first I was impressed by the defense? Yeah. I, I said I was impressed by the defense. The secondary did really well. It was interesting, Matt Mike, because they, in they interviewed Tremaine Johnson. And talking about some swag. Talking about some swag, Matt Mike. That young man spoke with confidence. And that's exactly what you want. He said, you could put me in a box. You could put me press. You could put me in a zone. It don't matter where you put me. I'm going to get the job done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, and I, I when he said that, I looked at him. I was like, and that is exactly what the heck I'm talking about. 
That's exactly how you supposed to feel. That's exactly yep. what you supposed to say. And this young man backs it up. Look, we said you last will. time that the Jets lost how many games that they were in last year. This is a better football team, man, Mike. Yeah, and, and, and yo, you're gonna, you know, it's funny. You're gonna call me crazy for this, but, but uh, what, what Teddy Bridgewater did on on Friday night, it can't go overlooked. You know what I mean? Because and I'm gonna say here, here's why it can't go overlooked. And, and people are gonna call me crazy. People actually that I've spoken to have already called me crazy for this. You got a guy like Khalil Mack who's like, yo, I'm not playing until I get a new contract, right? You got a guy like like. Uh, uh, Aaron Donald's not going anywhere, but you know what I mean. Dante Fowler Jr. in Jacksonville. Where, where are the Jets struggling? Where, what's the for, from what everyone says? What's the, the number one weakness? Or, or it is without question pass rush, right? You got a team like let's say Oakland who doesn't have a backup quarterback, and they have a a a, a Derek Carr who we all love and think is is one of the better quarterbacks in this league, but he can't stay healthy. You know what I mean? Every year question mark. You have a guy like Blake Bortles, who we don't think is very good, and, and is also injury risk too, right? It, it, both of those teams, I, I mean, you know, Khalil Mack is not going anywhere, but let's say Dante Fowler Jr., he's, he's expendable right now. He, they, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so obviously he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. If you're uh, the, Jag, the Jags, what's to stop you from calling up the Jets and saying, hey, what if we do this Dante Fowler Jr. straight up for Teddy Bridgewater? Would you do it? All of a sudden, they just struck gold, right? They got their pass rusher, and they still got Darnold, who looked really good, and we know he's the future. And they got Josh McCown, who can be your starter this year. So this Teddy Bridgewater thing, outside of looking amazing, and he looked amazing, um, this has other, other you know, impacts for the club. Yeah, moving forward, and the following notable players didn't participate in Friday's game, Matt Mike. Nose tackle Steve McClendon, who's dealing with a leg injury. We all know left tackle Kevin Beecham, his foot issue. He didn't play running back Eli McGuire. He has a foot issue. Running back Thomas Rawls. Wide receiver Terrell Pryor, who are both dealing with ankle issues. Safety Marcus May, who's dealing with an ankle issue. Tight end Chris Hendon. Tight end Jordan Leggett. Kickers Sicario Santos. And quarterback Justin Barris and, and Perry Nicholson, who both have M Street hamstring issues, and wide receiver Quincy and Numwa. And even with those guys not being or participating in Friday's preseason game, Matt Mike, the Jets didn't miss a beat. Now I also want to add that running back Isaiah Crowell left the game and he didn't, get, he didn't return and he was evaluated for a concussion and that the Jets held Pryor and May out as they're slowly bringing him back from the offseason. But no big deal there. So, look, the Jets... I mean, of, of all those injuries you mentioned, um, real quick, of all the injuries you mentioned, um, the, the one that concerns me most is Kelvin Beecham because he's a guy where, where, where um, they're really uncertain about that injury. As far as uh, the likes of, of you know, Nickerson, uh, he, he, he felt a little tightness in the hamstring during the week, so they held him out. They didn't want him to play in the game. After feeling some tightness, but uh, they said that they don't think it's going to be lingering or lasting. Uh, like you said, Crowell came out with, with, with Crowell's the guy. He says he can do it. The Browns, after Kyle Shanahan left two years ago, they didn't seem to think he could. Uh, that play right there kind of gives you. I mean, you know, they they use him coming across the middle, 
Um, he's strong. I mean, I didn't think they knocked it out the park. I didn't, sure I, did. out, I, didn't, I didn't think they knocked it out the park. But literally from what I'm seeing thus far, and again, is one preseason game. I was really impressed by your football team. And I tell you who else I like, Matt Mike. I like that young man, Trent Cannon. I want to get your opinion on What? Him. Shout out of the Cannon. I want to give you I want to get your opinion on him because obviously he looked a little bit shaky, he muffed a couple of punts. Well, you know what? what? He he's and, and you know that there's a difference. And this is what the Jets are kind of uh they're they're kind of playing with the idea. He was a kick returner in college. Uh he wasn't a punt returner. You know that 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 you you understand the difference, um, kick returner between and, and punt returner. He's still working on it. The, the you know I, I was a little surprised to see them u- use him um, in the in the first game. Uh, you know instead of letting him get you know the speed of the game down, you know real game. Uh, but I like this kid, man. And, like he was going to run a slant and then side the field. That listen that corner yeah. he, that corner wasn't even five yards with by him. Yes, and the only difference was Darnold threw him to the outside shoulder thinking he was going to break off towards the sideline, and he just kept he, – he had him beat so bad, he kept straight up the, the, the middle, um, you know, up the seam. And I, I, my, my guess is even Darnold was shocked by the speed because had Darnold realized that he was going to have his guy beat by three steps, I don't think he would have went to the sideline with the throw. I think he would have went straight up field for another touchdown. Um, yeah, that's the exact play. Uh, yo. It's it's gonna be interesting. It's funny, man. When 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 a team like Seattle drafts a guy like uh, McKissick, and, and they use him, you know, in wide receiver and running back, and and you realize this guy was a running back slash wide receiver in college. Everybody salutes this, this you know, celebrates it. All oh, these guys are so smart. They see things we don't. When the Jets do it, everybody kills them. Train Cannon, blah blah blah. But like, come on, man, show some respect. I, I, listen, I I give kudos. Listen, Matt Mike, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to still talk some New York Jets, and we're going to talk some Urban Meyer and give our first impression of the AP College Football Top 25 poll. So we'll be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Happy Monday, ladies and gentlemen. The coffee has been poured and all is right with the world. This is A.O. Baker from Part of My Fresh, and I'm the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. Thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing. And if you're not already subscribed, you can do so at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Google Play, Anchor. We're also working on some new platforms like Spotify, so you can expect to see the show there very soon. For comments and questions, make sure you follow at Lloyd A. Thompson, that's two L's, on Instagram and Twitter, or you can send an email to Lloyd at partofmyfresh.com. Hit partofmyfresh.com as well. Make sure you check my podcast, the AO Podcast, out. Subscribe and listen there as well. And that's pretty much it. Mad Mike Lloyd, back to y'all. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Before we went to the break, we promised you guys that we were going to continue talking about the Jets and we were going to do our AP Top 25 and touch upon this Urban Meyer situation. But before we do our AP 25 and the Urban Meyer situation, Matt Mike, I want to bring up the Jets. Brent Quavel, he got the start where Kelvin Beecham ended and Ben uh, Iliguana or Ilalana or something like that. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for helping me out with that. He was relegated to the second string, but Craver was his usual spot 
with the second string at right tackle. And it's going to be interesting to see if the Jets continue to stick with Quavo as Beecham's replacement. Now, if Beecham can't play in week one, but remember, the Jets open is still exactly one month from Friday. So it's a long way to go. I'm going to call him I-Man or L-Man or whatever his name is. <laughs> He's the Bro, I'm going to say this. If, if, if Quali and, and Isolana have any major role on this offensive line, then Josh McCown better be the starter un, uh, 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 until he breaks. Because I'm not, I'm not putting Sam Darnold behind either one of those guys. I've seen enough <laughs> to tell you that they're, they're second team for a reason, oh, third team even. Um, so do the Jets, nah, do the Jets look to see what's out there in free agency? Yeah, or they banking on, or they banking on Beecham being ready for Week One? No, I don't know. I mean, you, the, here's the thing, man. So many teams are in, in uh, you know, cap strap. Um, the, the Jets have money to burn. You know what I'm saying? So they they still have money to spend. They can afford to see who's out there, and you know, I, I mean, I I, I want to say that they're still banking on Beecham's foot healing. Uh, They've been very tight-lipped about it outside of the fact that it's a multi-week injury. Um, and this is, what, going on a week and a half now, two weeks almost? So I don't know what a multi-week injury consists of in the NFL. Anything past one week, so we're already past one week. It could be day-to-day at this point. It could be longer. Um, I, I'd be looking. I, I'd be waiting to see if there's any major uh, players getting released or, you know, uh, I just finished saying maybe Dante Fowler for Teddy Bridgewater. Maybe you're moving Teddy Bridgewater for a left tackle. Who knows? Well, here's the thing. Teams don't really game plan for the first preseason game. But I will say that this Jets game did offer a glimpse of what new offensive coordinator Jeremy Bates might do with the Jets in 2018, Matt Mike. I kind of expect, and I just want to get your opinion on this, I kind of expect a lot of outside zone runs. Since Bates was influenced by Mike Shanahan, Bates got Bilal Powell involved outside with a lot of outside zone runs on Friday, and I believe that that's going to be a big part of his offense, man. Mike, what's your take on that? Um, as far as this run game goes, I think you're going to see a lot of the zone read. Um, you're going to see a lot of like, uh, uh, I, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, man, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't think anybody does because. The one thing the Jets have done is they've built such a versatile um, running back corpse. And, and it sounds stupid, right? But if we're being fair, like you just said, Trent Cannon looks interesting, right? Talking about a speed back who, who looks like he can he can uh, carry the rock and line up outside. Um, we're talking about Elijah McGuire who got comparisons to LaDainian Tomlinson from, from a skill set. Not a talent uh, perspective, a skill set pers- perspective. Um, we're talking about a guy in Isaiah Crowell who we just finished saying, you know, this guy can be. Kyle Shanahan just went and got uh, the kid from Minnesota, um, losing his name right now, to fill that kind of uh, uh, Swiss Army knife. It looks like Isaiah Crowell from from game one can can be that. And Bilal Powell, we know what Bilal Powell can do. And me and you had these, you know, these discussions last year saying. Why is he even playing behind Matt Forte at this point? This guy should be starting. So, but they all bring some different. So I think um, based on who's and I'm, it's a cop out for me. Um, I, I really don't know because I think that you're going to see the offense change, you know, slightly with each running back on the field. Well, I I just want to talk about Sam Donald for a quick second, man, Mike, as I thought 
He didn't appear to have any problems with jitters. He did play the entire game except for the first three series, and he needs the experience. So I thought it was excellent that the Jets played him as much as they did to gain him that experience. But Josh McCown, again, he played on the first series. He completed his lone pass as the Jets went three plays and out. But Teddy Bridgewater got the next two series, and he took the Jets, you know, on a long drive. So Darnold and Bridgewater completed seven to eight passes. I mean, I'm sorry, Bridgewater completed seven to eight passes for 85 yards, and he had a 16-yard catch-and-run touchdown with Crowell. So it was a nice showing as we both agreed for Bridgewater, who's rebounded well from a sluggish start to training camp, in which I pointed out, and which you pointed out, and, and which Joe Rivera pointed out as well. So we really don't know who leads the quarterback race just yet. It's still early, but we both said as of now, it's McCow, followed by Bridgewater, and followed by Sam Donald. But that can change very quickly. Yeah, and you know what's crazy to me, man? It, it, you know, Donald. Darnold, I thought Darnold was pretty damn impressive. I thought uh, his footwork in the pocket um, w w was top-notch. Um, I, I thought he looked quick. I thought he, uh, he was decisive. Um, he had a, a, a touchdown to, uh, I want to say his name is Charles Robinson, and it's not, and um, Charles Johnson. Um, and it was called back for offensive pass interference. Very next play, he went right back to Charles Johnson for a touchdown. Yeah. So he he was really reading the defense well. It looks like he's really learning quickly. Um, I I I I'm telling you right now, and it's funny. I just was having this talk with my brother, and um, I was saying, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's agent Lloyd said that they had a lot of uh, interest from around the league. You know, not just uh, bad teams, but contenders. Just people uh, unwilling, you know, especially the contenders, just unwilling to take the chance, uh, you know, with the unknown in the knee. Where the Jets, you know, no expectations and a lot of money said, hey, we'll take the chance. If, if teams could read, and it's funny because I use the Giants, for example, if the Giants could do things over, do you think that they would consider a 25-year-old form, former pro bowler to be their backup to Eli Manning? Do you think Teddy Bridgewater, uh, if they, if the Giants knew what what we all saw on Friday was going to be the case, I think that they would have made a play for him. Yeah, and I think that I that's agree. why they. I think the Jets have have, have gold on their hands because um, they're either going to play him, and and he's going to look really good, and maybe they keep him, franchise him, look to you know who knows, uh, um, sign him to a, a deal, and, and uh, keep him at the backup. Who knows what what you know. He'll have a better idea of what his knee can handle, or they can flip him. And, and I'm being honest with you, Teddy Bridgewater would be the perfect player in the New York Giants system right now. So you're saying there's no way to just carry three quarterbacks going into the season? Um, ideally, I don't think they want to because, like I said before, um, you don't want Darnold to fall. Uh, you don't want him to be three. You want him to still get reps in practice because we've seen the debacle with Christian Hackenberg and Bryce Petty. They, they, they sat them for a year thinking that, hey, they're going to learn the game. But if you don't play, you don't learn. You know, and if, if you're not at least the backup taking second team reps in practice, then you're not doing anything. So I don't think the Jets are going to make that mistake again. I think ideally they want uh, Darnold to be the backup. And it would either be McCown moving into the three, you know, I guess the 
the you know de facto quarterback coach. They never hired a quarterback coach. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater be the guy, or they're going to move Teddy Bridgewater. I don't I don't think the Jets go with three quarterbacks this year. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Look, listeners, we got we're going to have a lot of football to, to discuss as the weeks go on. It's going to ramp up more and more and more, and the starters are going to get more and more playing time until the final game of the season as they're kind of, you know, putting in slow gear so they can get ready for the regular season. But we got a lot of football to talk about. But let's move on to our college football AP Top 25, Matt Bike. As Alabama was voted number one in the final Associated Press College football poll after the Crimson Tide beat Georgia in the national championship game, and unbeaten Central Florida finished six. Now, the Crimson Tide received 57 of 61 first place votes from the media panel, Mad Mike, after this 26 to 23 overtime win against, the, uh, I'm sorry, against Clemson. But that was a really great game, Mad Mike. One of the better championship games that I've seen. Georgia fin. I'm sorry, against Georgia, not not Clemson. My my mistake, guys. Yeah, I was Georgia. confused. Georgia finished second. <laughs> and overtime. Its best ranking since 07, Matt Mike, and Oklahoma was third, followed by Clemson and Ohio State. So the AP National Championship is the 11th for the Crimson Tide, three more than any other school, and the fifth under head coach Nick Saban since 09, and. Nick Saban joins the late Alabama coach Paul Bear Bryant as the only coaches with five AP titles. This this program is unbelievable, Mad Mike. And Alabama is the first preseason number one to finish number one since USC did in the 04 and the 11th overall for the fourth time. So two teams from the same conference finished numbers one and two. The last three times it happened involved the Southern Conference teams. And Washington State, which lost to Michigan State in the Holiday Bowl. So, it did, look, we, we had this talk before we started the show. And we talked about how college football based its ranking system. And it goes by the strength of schedules. And I was saying how I just don't get how a team like Alabama lost a game last year. And they dropped two or three spots. Whereas a team that, you know, is may not have had a stronger schedule as Alabama, they could go from number three to number 11. And just to break it down a little bit, the AP top 25 was determined by a simple point system based on how each voter ranks college football's best teams. Now, teams receive 25 points for each first place vote, 24 for a second place vote, and so on through the 25 team, which receives one point. Now, the rankings are set by listening to the team's point totals from the highest to the lowest. So just to run through the top 25, man, Mike, you have anything to add before I run through the top 25 as you was just breaking down to me? Like I said, we discussed the strength of a team schedule. We all know the SEC is the strongest conference in college football. The ACC is getting better. The Big Ten is getting better. But you are right when you explained to me that, you know, you made me really think about it. The Alabama, they play top teams. Well, yeah, th that's what I was going to say. You, you, one, uh, um, you, you can't deny that the SEC 
you know, we're talking about there, and just to, to touch on it, I know that you said, I don't know how they can just go from one to three with one loss, but their loss was to Auburn, who at the time was like ranked, uh, uh, top, was also ranked in the top five. Um, and it was on the road. It, it was in Auburn. So, um, you know, that, that, that's a consideration there. But, you know, just think about this. It's not like they took their, 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 uh, you know, they're out of conference schedule lightly either. Yeah, they take some cupcakes specifically so they can get ready for SEC play and whatnot. But they played USC last year and they smoked them. They, they absolutely demolished USC last year to open the season. People forget that. So, you know, we're, and we're not talking about it's not like USC didn't have the, the, the greatest as good a year as everybody thought. But they, they ended up in a bowl game against Ohio State. So it's not like. You, you know, you you got to take a lot of those things into consideration. And, and just to, to add on to that, um, just recently, FSU and LSU uh, announced that they're going to play a, a home and away series um, in the coming coming year. So it's, it's, they also understand that in order to, to, to survive a loss and, you know, on your schedule, you got to play more of these type of games. So i'm just saying like you know that that's where that comes from but shoot shoot on the top 25 all right so you have alabama which i said they're ranked number one they had a 13 and one record georgia's ranked number two they had a 13 and two record followed by oklahoma who was 12 and two clemson at number four who was 12 and two ohio state at number five that was 12 and two now the university of central florida was the only undefeated team Matt, Mike, they were 13 and 0. They come in at number six. Wisconsin really? comes in at right. See, that's what I'm talking about. I would expect them at 13 and 0 to be a little bit higher than six. Plus, I mean, again, they did lose. They did lose uh, some players. I mean, they lost their best player on defense yeah, and uh, to Queen Griffin. Griffin. Yeah, but you know, again, their strength of schedule as you broke it down. It's not like Alabama's or Georgia's. So I. I it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. So like I was saying, Wisconsin is seven at 13 and one. Penn State is eight at 11 and two. TCU, nine at 11 and three. Auburn comes in at number 10 at 10 and four. Then it break down the next set of teams outside of the top 10. Notre Dame comes in at 11 at 10 and three. USC comes Notre in. Notre Dame overrated. Keep going. Okay. And that's my team. You heard it there. You heard it, listeners, from Mad Mike. USC comes in at 12 and 11 and 3. Miami comes in at 10 and 3. Miami, Florida. Uh, Oklahoma State, 10 and 3. They're at number 14. Michigan State comes in at 15 and 10 and 3. University of Washington at 16 and 10 and 3. Northwestern, 17. They come in at 10 and 3. You see all these 10 and 3 teams? LSU comes in at 18 at 9 and 4. Mississippi State comes in at 19 and 9 and 4, followed by Stanford at 20, who is 9 and 5. South Florida at 21, who is 10 and 2. Boise State at 22, who is 11 and 3. North Carolina State at 23, who is 9 and 4. Virginia Tech comes in at 24, and they were 9 and 4. And Memphis closes out the top 25. At 10 and 3, Matt Mike. Now, other teams receiving votes was Washington State, South Carolina, Iowa State, Army, FAU, Troy, Fresno State, San Diego State, and Iowa. Uh, uh, Army is a sleeper of mine. 
they're they they probably should have already been in the top twenty five. Army will finish this year in the top twenty five. So it, listen, college football. I know this is a little bit early for some people. It may be like, well, you guys are doing a top AP twenty five now. I know it's early, but guys, college football is right around the corner. It is another thing I'm you know shocked at, man. Another thing I'm shocked there is Georgia had the number one recruiting class um, this year, and for them to finish with an overtime loss in the national title game, uh, finishing as the number two seed in the country, uh, I don't, I don't see how. Yeah, I get Alabama beat them. Um, and to me, Alabama has a quarterback controversy building. Um, you got, you got, uh, you got, uh, damn, I'm missing this guy's Sturgeon name. Uh, like you got, you got Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts speaking out, and and you got him speaking out. You got his mom speaking out. All of a sudden, telling me, you know, it tells me that that uh, they don't think he's going to win the job. So now they're kind of, you know, bringing some outside pressure. Um, on Nick Saban, so I think you're going to have a little QB drama there, uh, combined with Georgia's number one recruiting class. I don't see how they didn't flip that, and I'm a I'm a huge Alabama supporter. Um, I just don't think you do what they've done. Yeah, I don't think you you build programs like them. Um, I, I, and I normally don't argue against them. I just don't see how uh, they're they're the preseason number one um, over Georgia when you consider those two factors. I mean, it's not like they whooped them in the title game. They they beat them in overtime um, by three points. And and like I said, you got a Cuban controversy on one end and the number one recruiting class coming in on the other. Um, I, I think they they, they should have flipped that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But before we take a couple questions, Matt Mike, I just want to touch on this Urban Meyer situation, who is one of the greatest, in my opinion, college football coaches to ever coach this game. He finds himself in limbo waiting to learn his future. He's been placed on administrative leave while an investigation is underway about what he knew and when he knew it regarding assistant coaches' history of spousal abuse, Matt Mike. Now, he's an outcast, banished from the sideline, and for once, it's not something he can overcome with this characteristic single-mindedness and a spread offense. The press got wind of the story now, and it's taking on a life of its own. Now, Gad, I'm sorry, Matt Mike. No, I was just going to say, I have a problem with, with the press because, um, you know, we, it, it, they're not saying, the, 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 here's a problem. How, how can you prove what he knew? It's, it, the, the thing about this is the press has been given when that his wife was made aware of it by the assistant coach's wife. How do we know what she shared with him? And then what about this allegation or, or, or what's been suggested that the, the Myers were, were given assurances that this coach and, and, and his wife were, were going to counseling and, and working to, to fix things. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's extremely, this is not a cut and dry um, where I'm going to say, well, he knew he needs to be fired. Because we don't know what he knew and we don't know what he was told in light of what he knew. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, the media's got to stop being holier than thou. And they're, they're ruining careers um, because they feel like things should should be done one way. And when, in fact, we know that these things don't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, look, Maya has compiled a 177-31 and 31 record in 16 years as a collegiate head coach, Matt Mike. He has three national titles, two of Florida, one at Ohio State, 
and he should have probably earned his fourth title at Utah. But his ascendance with Sutton and his fourth year as head coach, he turned Utah into what might have been the best team in the country in 04. He got Alex Smith drafted first overall. Yeah, but the talented Maya has been on his own. He's been his own his own worst enemy. Driven and intense, he seemed to be determined to do whatever he must do to win, and that included ignoring his own health and behavior of his athletes. More than thirty of his players were arrested during his six years in Gainesville. Mad Mike. Yeah, I, I don't know. You, you know, it's unfair for me personally. It's unfair to put that on him. And the reason I say that is. Um, yeah, we can knock him for, for kind of recruiting questionable characters um, and, and, and because they were amazing football players. But it's not like some of those guys went elsewhere and, and um, were, were I, I guess, model citizens. I mean, you had Aaron Hernandez, who ends up in jail for murder, uh, hanging himself. You got, uh, you know, one of the Pouncey brothers ending up in this bully scandal in Miami. So, uh, I, I mean, it's it's not I, I'm not I'm not. And I've never been willing to put it all on him. Yeah, he could have done more. Or, or once again, this is the media saying he, you know, you know, this is what we're going to knock him for. But it's, it's not. I mean, Bill Belichick is the cream of the crop, and he, he, no one knew that Aaron Hernandez was murdering people. So, I mean, you know, Cam Newton got kicked out of college out of Florida for stealing. You know what I mean? Like that. They, they. It's not like he didn't just. Uh, uh, Look the other way for all, all, all reasons. You know what I mean? Like, like as far as all players went. Yeah. I mean, he, no one, no realizes that he kicked Cam Newton out of college, out of Florida. So you know, give him a little bit of credit for holding guys accountable too. Right now, he's out of co he's out of coaching again, and while the controversy surrounding the behavior of the assistant coach Maya hired Zach Smith, he hired him as a wide receiver coach and kept him on the staff for six years even though he apparently knew years earlier that Smith had a year-long history of domestic violence. When Smith's history was learned by the media, as you pointed out earlier this summer, Maya initially said he knew nothing about it, but then later he said that he had reported to Ohio State officials. So Smith himself, it was reported that he told ESPN that after he was ordered to meet with the police in 2015, Maya asked him for explanation, and he says he told Maya that his ex-wife was trying to get me charged with a domestic abuse from incidents that happened throughout our marriage, and he explained both sides of the story and that he volunteered to do it and that he didn't hit her, and he said if you ever, you know, if you, he, it was reported that he said that Urban Maya told him if you ever hit her, you're fired immediately. But you see my point? Like, like, so, so, why, what's the truth? You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're calling for this man's job, but we've now heard that, that, that he's been given misinformation. We've now heard that, that he said, you know, basically, if you, if you did commit the crime, then, then you're fired. But we don't know. And that's what I'm, I'm sick of in, in today's current climate. Like, we're so quick to, to, to think that we're better than everybody in the media and, and the fans. And, and and realistically, how many fans are out there at the games? They go home and beat their wives. They go home drunk. And, uh, yeah, I'm saying it. How many of them are going home and beating their wife? Talking about ah, my coach needs to, needs to get fired for this. Like, shut up, dude. You have no idea what's going on. Now, you, with, with all the miss, the miss, uh, uh, the miss, uh, the, the miss talk or whatever you want to call it that's going on, we, we don't know. So now, Smith's ex-wife, 
filed for a domestic violence civil protection order against her former husband on July 20th. Now, if this is the end of Urban Meyer's coaching career, my Mike, then it will be among the most abrupt and biggest falls from a coaching ranks of all time. Obviously, Joe Paterno had one. And it's a long fall from celebrating a third national championship four years ago to being placed on administrative leave. Now, if he's fired, he'll join, again, the ranks of such enormous exits, several of them from Ohio State. So let's talk about Jim Trestle. He resigned in 2011 when it was revealed that not only had his players broken NCAA rules, but he knew about it. He won 10 conference championships and ironically was replaced by... Uh, Urban Meyer, and in 01, it was George O'Leary who was forced to resign a few days after becoming a Notre Dame head coach when it was discovered that his decades of old biography contained a few fibs. He didn't earn a degree from NYU Stony Brook University because the school doesn't exist. Oh, my gosh. Whew, boy. Um, look, before we move on to questions, Matt Mike, do you think that Urban Meyer... Deserves another chance to coach. Obviously, we don't know what the situation is. He's going through this by hearsay without facts being thrown out there or put on the table. Nobody really knows what's going on. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, but he's not the only one. What about what about the fact that uh, Tom Herman uh, was supposedly outed uh, by Brett McMurphy or... Um yeah, Brad McMurphy. What, what about the fact that he was he was uh, outed uh, supposedly as a source? You know, Tom Herman, uh, Longhorns coach, uh, previously of the, uh, of Houston. Uh, you know, people forget that he came from from Ohio State. He was groomed by Urban Meyer, so well, that hurts his college career. You know, uh, coaching career because now if you're the guy that outed Urban Meyer, who's going to hire you? If you or if it leaks out there that you're the guy that 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 basically threw Urban Meyer to the wolves um, and ruined his career, who's going to hire you? There's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, you know, layers to this onion. Um, and I don't know. Do I think he deserves another job? Yeah, I think until you prove to me unequivocally that this man knew and did absolutely nothing. Remember something. We don't know that denial he said where he said that he didn't know anything. We don't know if he was trying to protect not just himself. We don't know if he was trying to protect his assistant coach. We don't know what was out there. He, you know, he doesn't know what, what, what the facts were at the time. He just knows what he was told versus what, what was released to the media. And, and maybe at that time he wasn't ready to throw his coach under the bus. We don't know. He wouldn't be the first coach to deny something. As a matter of fact, didn't the, 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 we just had this discussion about the Mets. And Mickey Callaway denying that he knew uh, what Joanna Cespeda said, even though he did know. Sometimes a coach is just trying to protect the institution and, and, and everything else until they have all the facts, right? Deny until you, until you know for sure. Deny, deny, deny. Well, not only that, man, Mike, I also want to put out that who knows how Ohio State handled this situation. Maybe they're doing this now because it came out to the light and the media is reporting it. Maybe Ohio State, and he said he reported this to Ohio State officials. You're right. And, and, and you know, not for nothing, why don't the media jump on DJ Durkin, uh, of the Maryland uh, football head coach, who, who was supposedly running a toxic freaking program um, where where the, the coaches were, were bullying the players with physical and, and, and verbal abuse and actually uh, 
over overworking players. Uh, and apparently, from one report, uh, a player died uh, in June of, of heat stroke. Um, I think they got his body temperature up over 106 degrees and um, apparently waited 45 minutes after he had seizures before they, they uh, asked for emergency medical assistance. Why don't we look at those people who, who are doing things on the field until we have all the proof about people like Urban Meyer off the field? You got that right. And also there was another coach. Did you hear about that story, Mad Mike? And I'm sorry, guys. We're going to take we're going to take a couple questions real quick after this. But there was another story about a college football coach that punched somebody with an Uber incident and ended up killing a guy. Like he knocked him out, and a guy. Yeah, hit his head. yeah. Then that happened uh, over in New York. It happened over here, right? Yeah. Assistant yeah. coach on um uh yeah you're you're hundred percent. I forgot what staff he was on, but yeah. Um, a uh, guy thought he was an Uber driver, knocked on his window. Uh. You know, that, that's a whole other thing. What the hell is wrong with people? You can't roll your window down and be like, no, I'm not an Uber driver. You got to get out and clock somebody because of that? Yeah, There's it's too crazy. many things going on in life and in this world to, to do that to people. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't. Not one bit. But listen, this is a story that we're going to continue to discuss at some point. There you have it, Paul. My uh, one of our faithful listeners, Paul, wanted us to touch up on a college. He's a big college football guy, and he wanted us to touch up on the AP Top Twenty Five and this Urban Meyer situation. So hopefully, you know, we was able to knock that out the park for you, Paul. Thank you for your support and continue, you know, to support us. We appreciate it. But let's take a couple questions, man. Mike, you ready for it? Shoot. Sure. All right. So we got Cindy from Washington, and Cindy wants to know. What is the situation with Odell Beckham Jr. as far as him not playing? And do we see him participating in any preseason games before the Giants kick off their regular season? I'll let you tackle that first. Um, I don't think he's going to play. And I know that they're probably going to um, portray it as a team, as a joint uh, decision. Or maybe not even a joint decision, just a New York Giants team decision. But he's not stepping back on the field until they pay him. Um, I'm, I'm 110% convinced there's a difference between being a good soldier in training camp and going through all the workouts and, and, you know, non-contact drills and stuff like that. There's a big difference when you strap it up in a preseason or, or regular season game without that contract. And, um, he's worth a hundred million dollars right now. Um, at least that's what he believes. Um, I don't think he'll play. And I'll be honest with you. I think I said this to you already, but I would I would just never mind that that hundred million dollars. I know what it means, but you look at the big picture, man. Just take the sixty five million dollars guaranteed. It's still going to be the richest guarantees ever for a wide receiver, and it's going to keep the overall average annual down um, and save the Giants money in the long run. You're still going to be you, you know what I mean. You're still breaking the record for something, and you're allowing your team money. Think about this for a second, Lloyd. Uh, and I just switch gears real quick, but think about this, um, Davis Webb is going into his second year that means that he he you know he doesn't get a fifth-year option he's only going to have the four years and then you got to pay him or you got to franchise him franchising him means you got to pay him anyway so um you, you can't you can't be paying odell beckham 20 million dollars a year um on the salary cap give him the 15 uh the 65 million guarantee give him the 15 on the salary cap and save the additional five for when you got to pay that quarterback i'm with you i don't think Odell Beckham Jr. plays a game without a contract. Obviously, you know what happened to him last year. He hurt himself in the preseason. And the Giants got off to a sluggish start during the regular season because of that. 
But hopefully a deal gets done. And once the deal gets done, I still don't see him participating in preseason games. He's too valuable to this franchise. So no Odell Beckham Jr. in the preseason. I agree with Matt Mike. They're going to come up with some reason or excuse as to why he's not playing. Hamstring, toe, finger, something. Something's going to I'll be very surprised if I see him lace up and put on them shoulder pads and strap on that helmet during the Giants preseason games. All right, the next question comes from Freddie from Brooklyn. And Freddie wants to know, now that Carmelo Anthony is officially signed with the Houston Rockets, Will the Houston Rockets surpass their win total of last season, or do they not surpass it? I'll go first, Mad Mike. No way in on God Green's earth does Houston finish with the same record that they did last year. Carmelo Anthony, uh, one of Carmelo Anthony's biggest supporters, when he was in a New York Knicks uniform until the time he left, and I saw him go to OKC and kind of ruin that situation in OKC. I can see him doing the same thing with Houston. I thought Trevor Reza, not so much a better basketball player, but a better fit for what Houston is trying to do. I don't think Carmelo Anthony fits that bill for the Houston Rockets. Now you have somebody like Chris Paul that, that's a ball-dominant point guard, and maybe he might be able to put Carmelo Anthony in his place as far as when he's able to touch the ball, shoot the ball, yada, yada. But just think about it, man, Mike. You got James Harden who we know is a shot nut. And now you put another shot nut next to him and Carmelo Anthony. I just don't think it's going to work. I do think that Houston is probably going to finish number two behind the Golden State Warriors, but there's no way that they have a repeat of what they did last year, man, Mike. No. Um, well, well, what, what do they say? You don't mix business and friends? You don't mix money and friends? Well... Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony are about to realize that you don't mix business and friends because Carmelo Anthony doesn't have the drive to be great that that uh, Chris Paul has, and Chris Paul is gonna gonna realize that just like Russell Westbrook realized it, just like Phil Jackson realized it, and it's gonna go south quick. It's gonna go south extremely, extremely fast. Um, like you you said, um, Carmelo Anthony does not do the things that that Trevor Ariza does. Um, Luke Luke. Uh, Mute, whatever. Um, he doesn't do those things. He doesn't do the dirty work. This team is not looking. And I'm sure that that's the same thing that, that, uh, Mike D'Antoni screaming from the rooftop saying, wait a minute, yo, this guy needs to shoot the ball. We're talking about a guy who, who, with, even with his diminished skills playing on a team with, with, uh, Paul George and, and Russell Westbrook, um, still shot the ball 18 times a game, still somehow found 18 shots for himself. And, and, and his rebounds weren't up. His uh, defensive t statistics weren't up. His field goal percentage wasn't up. Uh, it, think about that. His field goal percentage was down, and he was playing with two other stars. When does that happen? Let's also throw out that he he's playing for a coach that he ran out of New York, man, Mike. You know how great, and, and you know we're, we're New York fans, so we we remember what Mike D'Antoni did to Stephon Marbury, where he just was like, you know what, I'm going to take control of this situation. Um, nobody saw it coming, and he just refused to play Stephon Marbury. How funny would it be if he did the same thing to Carmelo Anthony? He held a grudge um, against uh, Steph 
when when Steph was in Phoenix and when he got to New York, he never let go of that grudge. I can see him doing that to Carmelo, not to start the year, but at some point during the year. He's just going to say, you know what? I've had enough. This is my team. I've already proven to the people of Houston what I what we can do under my system. I'm not playing you anymore. You're right. You're right. So the next question comes from JJ, and JJ's from North Carolina, and he wants to know our thoughts on the Cam Newton and Kelvin Benjamin incident where Kelvin Benjamin came out and kind of trashed Cam Newton. I'm, I'm going to take this one first. Yeah, um, Mike. I'm, I already know where you're going, but I'm going to take this one first. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to salute Shannon Sharp on this one. Why, why are we having this conversation? I mean, this wide receiver got up to 280 pounds. He was an offensive lineman playing the wide receiver spot. You know, he wasn't complaining when when he was catching 75 passes for 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns as a rookie. Um, he's just complaining after he blows out his ACL. By the way, Cam Newton won the MVP and went to the Super Bowl um, in the year that, that Kelvin Benjamin blew out his ACL. So I don't think it was Cam. And then he came back almost weighing 300 pounds. How, how are you trying to play wide receiver almost weighing 300 pounds? And then you're going to talk about the accuracy uh, of Cam Newton. And you're going to blame Cam Newton for, for, for what's going on. Last time I checked. That team, Cam has put that offense on his back every chance he got. Look at Devin Funches. Devin Funches has turned it around. You don't hear Devin Funches talking bad about Cam Newton. Why? Because he decided to finally put the work in after he sucked in his rookie year. Look, Cam, Cam is never going to be the, the – the and I hate to say this because the, this black quarterback stigma, it bothers me. But I, And I really do hate to say it. He's never going to be the, the, the smartest, the most cerebral in, 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 in people's eyes. Um, for whatever reason, he's never going to be the most accurate. But you tell me, when was the last time somebody gave Cam Newton, Antonio Brown, OBJ, um, Rob Gronkowski? You find one time that he was thrown to anybody with that kind of talent. Maybe if you gave Steve Smith, they, they look at what, what Dave Gettleman, your guy, did. He, he, he banished Steve Smith. Yeah, and Steve did. Smith, during the draft, what did he say? DJ Moore was what? The first real receiver Cam has had since himself. So you know what? Tell this fat ass to get to get moving. He can go catch passes from Josh Allen, who, by the way, even less accurate than Cam Newton. AJ McCarron, who's done absolutely nothing, and Nathan Peterman, who, after two quarters of football, they decided last year not the answer. Go catch passes from those guys. You 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 clown. You fat ass clown. Go eat a pie and shut your mouth. <laughs> Look, my. My whole thought behind that man, Mike, is who is he to say anything about Cam Newton when he wasn't even on the field playing? He couldn't even stay healthy enough to play. So you don't have the right to say anything about anybody else when you have you wasn't even on the field enough to really to really say anything about that about somebody. Also, show some maturity. Show some maturity. It's not cool to do that. Just throw somebody else under the bus or to talk bad about somebody. When you actually leave that organization and Cam stepped to him. Yep. Cam stepped Brandon, to him. By the way, Brandon Bean, Brandon Bean's another problem. GM above the Buffalo Bills. He was the assistant GM under Dave Gettleman when they took him. And now you want to say he was a bad fit. Shame on you. You were part of the front office that made this guy a first round draft pick when no one else thought he was a first round draft pick to begin with. People forget about that. He no one thought he was a first round pick when they took him. 
And now all of a sudden you're saying, yeah, well, he was a bad fit. We probably, looking back, we probably should have never drafted him. Well, you just traded for him. You sound like an idiot, right? First you say we shouldn't have drafted him, and now you traded for him. By the way, Josh Allen has the same question marks that Cam Newton has. And even worse, why? Because at least Cam Newton played in Auburn in the SEC. At least he played Division One against top caliber defenses. So we we at least saw something from him. You drafted an inaccurate quarterback who played D2. We don't even know if he can do it against top-level competition. You hear the reports out there about how he's missing guys by eight miles. Oh, Good luck, boy. Kelvin Benjamin. Good luck. So we're going to take one more question. And the last question is from Tank. And Tate comes from Chicago, and he wants to know our thoughts on this NFL protest and as quite a few players continue to kneel or put up a fist during the NFL, during the National Anthem as it was being played in the preseason, during the first week of the preseason. Matt, Mike, I'll take that first. This continues to be a touchy situation. I have a brother-in-law who I love and respect so much. He's currently a Marine. He's done two tours in Afghanistan. He's done two tours in Iraq. So I have nothing but the utmost respect, not only for him and what he's done for this country, but for other servicemen and what they've done for this country. And this is something that I've spoken to him about, man, Mike. And I asked him, I've asked him, how do you feel about NFL players taking a knee? How do you feel about NFL players doing a protest and that they're doing. And he told me, and I've asked him this more than once, Matt Mike, and he's told me on numerous times that he doesn't have a problem with it. And again, we have a president, and I don't want to get into all this, I don't want to get into all this listeners, but we have a president that's trying to bring controversy and unnecessary attention to something that is not worth bringing. Why are you making something big out of what this really is? There's so many other things going on in this world that the president needs to focus on instead of whether or not players are standing or kneeling for the national anthem. Now, some some uh, soldiers or, you know, servicemen have said that they feel it is disrespectful. Colin Kaepernick, who started this whole thing, he spoke to somebody who said it was disrespectful, and the guy said, well, instead of taking a knee, maybe you should sit. And kudos to the players that are continuing to sit, continuing to throw up a fist, and continue to stay in that locker room during the national anthem. Because you can't let anybody bully you or stop you from doing something. And again, it's not, it has nothing to do with disrespecting servicemen. Colin Kaepernick has said over and over again, these players have said over and over again why they're doing it. So why, is, why does the reason why they're doing it continue to be ignored and thrown under the, thrown under the carpet? So, uh, I don't have, listen... I, I applaud the, the, the young men that continue to do it, but I'll be even more impressed, Matt Mike, when people like Ezekiel Elliott, Odell Beck, the stars, the stars of the NFL do it. You think Jerry Jones is going to fire Ezekiel Elliott or Dak Prescott if they take a knee or sit during well, the national well, anthem? Well, well, wait a minute. We know Dak ain't doing it because Dak came out well, against the protest right, He this came week. out and said it. But what I'm saying is, man, Mike, do you think that Jerry Jones said that any any of his players did that, he would fire them? Yeah, of course. So and, you think that Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott sat or kneeled during the national anthem that he would fire them? And if he did, you don't think no team would pick both of those guys up in a heartbeat? Yeah, so I, some, I mean, so I, some, I know. So some kahunas. 
So simple. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then it's um, the guys. I'm sorry, man, Mike, real quick before I let you before I let you tackle it. It's the guys who careers are on the line by doing this, man, Mike. It's guys that if they protest, they could be outcasted from the NFL. They could be released by their team and nobody will ever sign them again. Yep. Yep. It needs so, to be the stars, Matt, Mike. And yep, I applaud so the Philadelphia uh, Eagles because they have some stars, some top players who are doing it. You think the Eagles are going to cut that safety? They're not going to cut him. Malcolm Jenkins? They're not going to cut him. Or, or Chris Long. Yeah, they're not going right, to cut either one right. of them. I'm, I'm sorry. Right. Go ahead, Matt, Mike. I'll let you say your pieces so we can close this out. All right, for starters, um, to touch on the president, um, you know, I don't like the tweet this week talking about, uh, you know, these players uh, are kneeling for, for a cause they can't define with. Um, just because these players are worth, uh, you know, millions of dollars, you know, that's just him playing on, on, on the money, on the fact that a lot of the fans already resent the fact that so many athletes get paid so much money to play a game. First of all, it's not a game anymore. It's a job. Um, and when you guys can put in the effort and, and when you can match their effort and talent um, and their work ethic, uh, you, you, can, you can have a problem with the money they make. I can tell you for a fact because you know how hard it is to hit the gym, how hard it is to to, to, to try to get ready just to play, you know, you know, nowhere close to, to, to pro ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like, man, you, we're, we're at this point in our lives, we're, we're playing for fun. And we're still, you know, talking about at the gym, how we're banged up, how, how we're hurting, we're tired. And, and you know what I mean? Like these guys got to They got to continue to do it and they got to do it for eight hours a day. It is a job. Just because we watch it and call it a game we love to play doesn't mean that they're not, they're not doing a job. You know what I'm saying? That's one. So, yeah, just because they're making money doesn't mean they can't define with it. How many players get stopped on a daily basis? Uh, what about the guy that shot um, um, the, the, the former New York Jet player in the street to death? What about the New Orleans Saints guy who got shot to death? You guys don't realize that they're, they're football players when they're in the street. These cops that are stopping them don't realize that they're football players. So let's stop telling them that they don't know what they're talking about and they don't go through it just because they have money. They actually do go through it. What about uh, James Blake, the tennis player? who got tackled by a New York cop? What about uh, Tabo Cephalosha, NBA player, who got his ankle broken by a cop outside a nightclub? Let, let's, why? Because that, 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 that cop didn't know he was a, a ball player, so he was able to be a little more aggressive. You know, let, let, they do know what they're talking about. So when they do come to the defense of us, it's because they've seen it and they've been a part of it. So don't say they don't define with it. That's number one. Number two. Dak Prescott, I'm happy they painted that mural of you in a sunken place because you, with your 12 endorsement deals and your Jerry Jones quarterback money that's coming, you're not going to do anything to jeopardize your future like these guys did. You're not going to stand up for us. You're going to stand up against us. When are people like you going to learn that they're using you as a weapon to diminish what we're trying to accomplish, what these players are trying to accomplish? You don't even see that. You're so blind to it. Blinders, buddy. I'm happy they pictured that they, they they painted that picture of you in a sunken place. Get out. Get out of our circles. Don't come back. And I hope Zeke takes a knee and puts you in an uncomfortable position. Because who are you gonna ride with? The guy that makes you successful or the guy that you're looking to pay you? Because we know you're not worth a, a, a dime, right? We saw how bad you were last year when Zeke wasn't on, on the field. I'll say it, I don't care. Jerry Jones don't affect me. You know what I'm saying? And shame on the NFL 
Colin Kaepernick still out of a job while Nathan Peterman has a job and AJ McCarron has a job and Buffalo has the worst quarterback, you know, tandem in, in all of football. Um, Eric Reed, we just touched on him. Um, I don't know how he doesn't have a job with the New York Giants as bad as their safety position is once you, you put uh, um, Landon Collins as, at, at linebacker. So, uh, uh, to me, I don't like this whole situation. And I will be honest, I, I do talk to some people that think that it's, it's, it's disrespectful to the flag. I get it. But at the same time, go into these people's neighborhoods, go into inner cities and do something about it. I mean, we're talking about, we're, 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 we're still talking about this cause. LeBron James opened the school, damn it. For, for inner city kids in need, for parents who, who don't have GEDs, and the president called them stupid the very same night they announced the school. And we're still going to say that they can't define with this? Yo, man, I'm telling you right now, this is, I hope that this continues forever. And I hope more big-time players finally decide to support the cause because how much longer can they put up with this? Right, and kudos to those teams that don't go to the White House when they win championships. You know, kudos to them. It can't. Yeah, this can't continue. And yes, uh, by the way, guys, um, I have family that are ex-cops. I have. Uh, uh, I was just actually with a military individual yesterday um, having the same conversation. So it, 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 don't call me unpatriotic. I'm just saying we got to acknowledge everything going on in our country. If they, if we're gonna salute them for fighting for our country, let's acknowledge all, all the, the the unfairness going on within our country. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. And with that being said, listeners, please continue to send us your questions, and me and the Mad Michael kind of gonna try to tackle them as frequently as we possibly can. And that's gonna bring us to a conclusion of this week's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We want to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for keeping us going. And we want to thank you, the listeners, for continuously to listen into our show, stick with us, and support us. So, listeners, please have a safe and blessed week. And me and the Mad Mike, I'll see you in seven days. So, hey, yo! Let's roll, baby! And just like that, much like my cup of coffee, this show is over, finished, finito, done, we're out of here. Thank y'all for listening. If you subscribed, much appreciated. If not, please do so, because brand new episodes drop every single Monday, and I would hate to see you miss something. LloydAThompson.com, part of my fresh.com. Subscribe, follow, at LloydAThompson on Instagram and Twitter. We're out of here. Peace.